Good morning, Encounter Church. My name is Ryan Hansen, and I have the honor of serving here on the preaching team. And I don't know about you, but this series has definitely been a blessing to me. It's rare that we are able to dive into the uncomfortable topics that we have been able to dive into to this degree. And as Dirks reminded us over the last couple weeks, it's only when we step into the discomfort that we allow ourselves the challenge to grow. And it's been great to grow with all of you guys even if it is virtual. Now this week, as we wrap up the series, I think we're going to step into the most uncomfortable of topics, and that is wealth. And before you switch off the feed, I just want to start by defining what we mean by wealth. Because I know that 2020, on the heels of 2020, it's been a little rough. I know a lot of us have been put on furlough here and there, myself included. I know some of us have lost our jobs. I know some of us have had to get new jobs, and I know that some of us, those new jobs, have been underemployed. We've had to get used to making less money. I know that wealth is a touchy subject right now, and I want to view wealth from the perspective that James brings to our key verse in James 5. You see, when James uses the word wealth, the Hebrew for that word actually just means an excess beyond the norm. And I think we've all, we all can admit that in one way or another, we have an excess, You see, that definition allows us not just to look at wealth as money, which is kind of our American perspective, but it allows us to broaden that. So we could be wealthy in time, and a lot of us got a lot of time back in 2020 with everything being canceled. I know I had pretty much everything that I do canceled. I know a lot of us have been able to use our talents in different ways, and we've had some excess in talents and different opportunities to use those there. And some of us have been blessed and we've had an excess of, actually, treasure. So I want to look at wealth today through that lens of time, talent, and treasure. And I know for me it's particularly appropriate because growing up, you know, every time that an opportunity crossed my path, my brain would switch to that good old radio station, WIIFM, right? What's in it for me? And over the years, I became very selfish in all three of those areas, in the way I used my time, in the way I shared my talents, and in the way I spent my treasure. You see, but lucky for us, Jesus didn't avoid uncomfortable topics either. And Jesus dove in to the topic of wealth in many areas. And in Matthew 6, 21, Jesus says this, Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So instead of making this a sermon just on money, I want to broaden it to wealth, and I want to ask the question, where is your heart? Because I think at the base of all this, the topic of wealth comes down to a heart issue. You see, if you would have asked me 15 to 20 years ago when I graduated college, if you would asked me that question, where is your heart, Ryan, the best analogy that I would have had is to compare myself to the Grinch, right? Maybe wearing the green shirt to match. My heart was three sizes too small. I had become selfish in the use of my time. I had become selfish in the use of my talents. And I had become selfish in the use of my treasure. But God has a different plan. God doesn't want us to be selfish people. God wants us to be generous people. And God doesn't look at you when you get off the path that he's set for your life and say, well, I got seven plus billion other people to worry about. That one's a lost cause. No, we serve a God that lovingly nudges us back to the path that he created us to walk. And that's exactly what God did in my life. You see, it all started when God gave me the opportunity to volunteer at a youth group in church. 
You see, God, by just giving me the opportunity to give of my time to just show up at a middle school youth group, I didn't have to do anything. There was no talent required. I had to show up. I had to listen to some people. I had to listen to the kids. I had to, like, engage with them here and there. Periodically, I had to schedule a volunteering thing on the weekend, you know, at a 5K or something. All I had to do was give of my time. And God softened my heart. And he grew at one size because he showed me how I can use my time to serve other people. See, the second step that God did to nudge me back to the path was that while volunteering, he exposed me to some of the realities of kids that have absent parents, especially fathers. And some of these boys who had fathers that weren't in their lives, he gave me the opportunity to mentor them. He gave me the opportunity to share my talents and my experiences. And through those relationships, God showed me the benefit of giving of ourselves, of giving of our talents, and he grew my heart one more size by showing me that I can use my talents to mentor. The problem was that I was still selfish in the way of treasure. And Paul writes in Romans 6, 3, he says, Offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. And I was holding that treasure back. See, I was like a squirrel at the time, just hoarding all of the nuts that I had collected for a future use that I didn't even know existed. But God was about to take me on a very uncomfortable journey toward being able to live in Romans 6, to offer every part of myself as a sacrifice. So I want to ask you that same question right now. Where is your heart? Maybe you're in college, and you have an abundance, an excess of time. I never had more time in my life than when I was in college. You are cultivating talents as you learn and grow in different things. But arguably, you probably don't have much money. At least I didn't when I was in college. But you do have excess. Maybe you're in the working world and you have very little time between your job and your family and responsibilities. You have very little time, but now that you're in the working world, you, you do have talents and you probably have some treasure. You do have excess. Maybe you're retired and now you find yourself in more time than you ever had before and you have a lifetime of talents. You have excess too. I think the question that God asks all of us is how are we going to use those excesses? Right, James defines wealth as of an excess beyond the norm, and we all have them. But we have to ask ourselves, how are we going to use them? Are we going to share of them generously, or are we going to hold them tight and hoard them selfishly? And today, those are the questions that I want to dive into. How does God call us to use our wealth in this world? So let's flip to James 5, verses 1 through 6. And let's start to look at these questions. And again, I just want to focus on the fact that whereas my heart issue was with treasure, was with money, as we go through, I do want to keep the definition of wealth as broad as possible, the time, talents, and treasure. Because I realize the Holy Spirit's going to speak to each of us individually. So if you'll join me in James 5, verse 1, James writes this, the section's labeled, Warnings to the Rich. And I view James just kind of like, with a finger, what are you doing? He says, now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. 
Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves on the days of slaughter, and you have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. You see, James gives a lot of warnings there, but two of them hit home for me. In verse 3, he said, You have hoarded your wealth. You see, my heart issue kind of showed itself right after I graduated from college. You see, I was on like a mission to live as cheaply as possible, to eliminate all the debt in my life. And I lived like super cheap, like crazy cheap, like no cable or internet cheap, because why would I pay 100 bucks a month for that? Like, set the thermostat to 55 in February cheap. Like, I'll buy a large pizza with a coupon once per week and kind of ration out the pizza throughout the week as my only food cheap. I knew, like, I started to have a problem when, like, I thought the gas bill was too high, so I started taking cold showers. Like, that was kind of where I think mentally I crossed the line, but at the time, I was like, some people say it's healthy, so we'll go for it. But it was all in a selfish pursuit of hoarding that wealth, of trying to become debt-free, trying to build up that emergency you know, fund that they tell you you're supposed to have. And my problem was that through hoarding of the wealth, I became super, super selfish. And the control and the comfort that that wealth provided started to eat away at my soul, and money became an idol in my life. See, James's second warning in verse 5 is against living an indulgent life in luxury. And I didn't live like super luxurious life because I didn't spend much money, but I did live by myself in my own house in my 20s. I did drive a four-wheel drive truck, and I did pretty much get whatever I wanted because, you know, I saved a lot of money. So if I really wanted something, I could. And those two warnings kind of really hit home for me. And God used passages like this and others to start softening my heart on the topic of wealth and the topic of how I use my money. You see, God really nudged my heart in that direction after I got married. My wife and I were attending a church, and this pastor was doing a series on the least of these, and one of the sermons was the least of these in our community, and he talked about kids in foster care, and how they didn't have a safe place to go. And again, God had grown my heart through my experiences with the youth group, to have a heart for those kids. So I looked at my wife and I said, I think maybe we should do this. And after some conversation, we decided to, to sign up, to get licensed. And over two years, we had two different kids in our house. And it was a growing experience of giving of our time and giving of our talents and trying to reflect God's love to these kids as best we could. But the work that God really did in me was after they left. See, after the second one left and went to live with his brother's family, I felt a conviction like I'd never felt in my life before. It wasn't like an audible voice, I've never had that, but the Holy Spirit put a thought in my head that was clearly not my own. I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, why did you foster those kids? And my only answer was, 
because I wanted to give them a safe place to live. I wanted to reflect your love to them. I wanted to give them hope for a future that they didn't have. And in a second bout of conviction, the Holy Spirit said to me, prove it. Figure out how much the foster agency gave you and stipend to take care of those kids and give it away. Now, I can do math, and I figured it out, and it was about $12,500 or whatever it was. And I had the money in my emergency fund, but it's not like, but I'd spent all the money the foster agency gave me taking care of them, buying food, buying clothes, buying school supplies, whatever they needed, you know, we got them. And God put me at a fork in the road of my faith. He said, you can either go full in, trust me, trust in my provision, trust in the plan that I have for your life, or you can continue to view money as an idol, continue to hoard it and squirrel it away for your own future needs and wants. Now, luckily, my wife is naturally gifted in generosity, and she was all in. She says, no, let's do this. But as God normally does, he doesn't give you a what without a how. And literally the day after we had this conversation, one of those Christmas catalogs came from World Vision or Samaritan's Purse or somewhere, and we're flipping through the pages, and you could buy a school for $15,000 in Africa. And I felt the Holy Spirit's third conviction say, looks like you need to round up. And my wife was all in, and, and it was hard. But we wiped out that emergency fund, and we donated to build a school in Africa. Now, it turned out their project was a six-room schoolhouse, so we donated one room of the six rooms. I think there's a picture somewhere. But our prayer is that all the kids that go to that school are blessed, get to know the love of Jesus, and get to grow up to have a hope that they may not have had. The problem is, when you give to a nonprofit organization, one of the best things they're good at is not losing your phone number. Because after a year, God had blessed us. We had a daughter. We rebuilt the emergency fund. I was riding high on like my you know, spiritual high of like obediently following God and taking a big step of faith and giving this donation. But a year later, we got a call from that organization, and they said, hey, we're building another school. Do you have another check? And it was like a slap in the face. I was like, what is going on? God had a second lesson for me. And it was clear that I needed it because of my reaction. Instead of like, yes, I get to partner with God. We get to do something to build the kingdom. We get to step into God's story and be an active character. The comfort that I found in that emergency fund was still there. And it was hard. And I talked to my wife, and she's like, why wouldn't we? That'd be dumb not to. So we made the donation, and a second school was built. And again, our prayer is that those kids that attend that school get to learn the love of Christ and get to have a hope and a future that they might not have had otherwise. But God used two forks in my spiritual path to teach me how to view treasure, on how to live a generous life, on how to step away from the accumulation and the hoarding that I was naturally bent toward, and how to be generous. And in doing so, he took a passage that had always been like the passage in the Bible that I probably disliked the most. And he showed me that this is his blueprint, his checklist for how he wants us to live generous lives and how he wants us to use our wealth. You see, if you flip with me to 2 Corinthians 9. This was always the passage that 
the churches that I attended growing up flipped on the screen right before offering, right? To encourage us to give. God loves a cheerful giver. Here's your opportunity. And I don't know, I just was jaded because of the whole experience. But God showed me that this is how he wants us to give. So let's start in verse 6. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Paul writes this. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Verse 7. Each of you should give what you've decided to give in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God's call in our life, the first thing God wants us to know about generosity is that God wants us to give out of our passions. See, he'd grown a passion in my heart for kids through volunteering at that church. He grew a passion in my heart for education based on my past experience. And he provided an opportunity in my path to act on those passions to build a school for kids that don't have one. God wants us to give out of our passions. As we continue in verse 9, Paul writes this, As it is written, you have freely scattered your gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplied seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous in every occasion, and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. First half of verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous. You see, God only asks us to give what he has already given us. See, whereas my crusade to become debt-free and build an emergency fund and all that, be responsible financially, was probably not done in the best way. God had blessed me and allowed me to do it. God allowed me to build that emergency fund, but what didn't occur to me when I was doing it was that the emergency wasn't mine. God allowed me to build that and blessed me enough so that I could to help somebody else in their emergency. God not only calls us to give of our passions, but he calls us to give that which he has already given to us. And the third part of God's blueprint to giving, to being a generous person, starts in verse 12. It says this, This service you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, others will praise God for their obedience that accompanies your confession to the gospel of Christ. And for your generosity in sharing with them and with everybody else, and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Verse 13, it says this, Because of your service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. See, God not only wants us to give of our passions, he not only wants us to give that which he has already given us, but he wants us to give so that we can bring people far from God into a new life with Christ. God wants us to live generous lives to help bring people into a relationship with himself. Now I want to bring my question back to you. 
God grew my heart that third size by putting me at two forks in the road. But where is your heart? What excesses do you have that God is convicting you to give generously away? Maybe you have an excess of time that he's calling you to give away in the form of service. Maybe you have an excess of talents that he's calling you to give away in the form of mentorship. Or maybe you've got an excess of treasure that he's calling you to use to bless somebody else. No matter what excess you have, my prayer is that you listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit, that you allow yourself to experience the conviction of your heart and you stay aware and attuned to the opportunities that God places in your path to live that out. Now I want to finish. There you go. I want to finish with a story of Jesus and a rich man in Matthew 19. See, a rich man came to Jesus and said, Jesus, how can I have eternal life? And Jesus said, do you obey the commandments? And he said, yes. And whereas that's probably a lie, he said, yes. And Jesus said, okay, good. Then give away all your possessions and come follow me. And he put that man at the same fork that he put me at. And the man chose the direction of money. He couldn't give away his possessions. He trusted in material possessions instead of trusting in the provision of God. And in this passage, Jesus shows us that he wants us to use all of our wealth, our time, our talents, and our treasures to live open-handedly. To have them available to God to use in whatever manner God sees fit. At whatever time God calls us to use them. And this thought was crystallized when me and my wife went to Israel. We went to Israel on like a Bible study tour. And we learned a lot about Israel. And it turns out Israel is kind of like this desert country in the middle of the Middle East where all the countries are desert countries. But Israel's got one thing going for it. It's got the Jordan River going straight down the middle. And in the Old Testament, any flowing body of water is called living water, and that's exactly what the Jordan River is to Israel. All the nutrients and minerals that flow through that river, Israel has learned to irrigate crops in amazing ways. And they become an agricultural powerhouse in the middle of a desert. And the contrast is stark because the Jordan River that literally brings life to an entire country empties out into the Dead Sea. And like any reservoir, the water goes in, but it never comes out. And as the sun evaporates the water from the Dead Sea, the lowest place on earth, the minerals and the nutrients that have brought life to this entire country concentrate and concentrate. And when we were there and we were floating in the Dead Sea, because that's what you do, it came with a warning. They said, if you drink a half a cup of the water from the Dead Sea, it won't bring life like that river does. It'll bring death. A half a cup will kill you. And when I was toweling off when I got out, the towel kind of nicked me in the lip, and some of the Dead Sea water, like one drop got in my mouth, and it was the nastiest thing I've ever tasted. And what God showed me in that moment was that's exactly what happens with wealth. If we allow wealth to accumulate like the Dead Sea... Instead of bringing life by allowing it to flow through us to others in need, it'll bring death to our soul. See, God calls us all to be living water to the communities around us. 
to use our wealth to bless others and to draw others toward him. God wants us to be rivers, not reservoirs. So my encouragement for you and for me and for everybody this week is to join God in his Luke 19 mission to use our wealth to seek and save the lost. Please join me in prayer. Dear God, thank you for this church. Thank you for the opportunity to step into these uncomfortable topics. We thank you for all the blessings that you've given to our lives, for the time that you give us, for the talents that you give us, and for the treasures that you bless us with. It's easy for us to think that these things are ours and we deserve to use them however we want, but the truth is they come from you and they're still yours. And we need to learn to live open-handed lives with everything that we have available to you to use whenever you want and however you want. I pray that in the words of Ezekiel 36, 26, that you turn our selfish hearts of stone to generous hearts of flesh. You put convictions in our heart and opportunities in our path to be living water to the communities that we live in. To give of our passions. To share what you've already given us and to help grow your kingdom by bringing people far from you into new relationship with your son. I pray this week you convict us all and you give us opportunities to live it out, to honor you and to grow your kingdom. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.